0: Welcome to the Not All Better Show, available on the radio and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and as part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series, we are about to discuss the sweeping story of a relationship between two Hollywood legends. Our guest today is Stephen Galloway, who will join us in a moment, when Stephen Galloway, the former executive editor of The Hollywood Reporter, and I talk political, personal, and and cinematic history in this dishy interview about the tumultuous marriage of Lawrence Olivier and Vivien Lee. Stephen Galloway will be appearing March 22nd at the Smithsonian Associates Program and the title of his presentation is Truly Madly. Vivien Lee, Lawrence Olivier and the Romance of the Century. Stephen Galloway has written a new best-selling novel of the same name. You'll find that and more on our website listed in today's show notes. In 1934, a friend brought fledgling actress Vivian Leigh to see Theatre Royal, where she would first lay eyes on Laurence Olivier in his brilliant performance as Anthony Cavendish. Vivian Leigh knew at the time he was the man she was going to marry. There was just one problem. She was already married, and so was he. And that was just one of the many dramatic elements in a book full of them. A good choice, by the way, for lovers of theater and cinema and for those who live for the drama. Decades after both actors' deaths, the story of their love affair still captivates millions. They were two of the first truly global celebrities whose fame was fueled by the explosive growth of tabloids and television. They seemed to have it all, but Lee's long, undiagnosed mental illness ultimately transformed their relationship from the stuff of dreams into a living nightmare. Our guest today, author Stephen Galloway, draws on new research, including exclusive access to uncovered correspondence and interviews with both their friends and family for a look at their tempestuous relationship, one that took place against the backdrop of two world wars the golden age of hollywood and the upheavals of the 1960s as they struggled with love loss and ultimate agony this is a wonderful interview so please join me in welcoming to the not old better show here on radio and podcast author stephen galloway stephen galloway welcome to the program thank you it is a pleasure to talk to you we are going to talk about a subject that I, I am I'm excited to get into this. Uh, you have an upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. Your book title is Truly Madly, Vivian Leigh, Lawrence Olivier, and the Romance of the Century. What a great title. I love that title. Thank you very much for sharing the book with me. I've enjoyed it. We're going to get into that. But why don't we start with you just telling us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation and maybe how you'll use Zoom to engage our audience. We're all on Zoom these days, and so it'd be be good to hear a little bit about that.
1: Yes, well, it's a great opportunity because I'm going to be able to show images that I couldn't get in the book. And the main reason I couldn't get them in the book was the pandemic shut down a lot of the archives, and they were unable to get me high-resolution pictures. And there is an extraordinary trove of letters and photos in the Vivian Lee Archive, This is one of the things that made me want to write the book. When I found out about this, I went to the the Victorian Albert Museum in London and she kept almost everything, including about 200 love letters that Olivier wrote to her, but also including photos that go back to her childhood. She was born, most people don't realize this, she was born in Darjeeling and grew up in Calcutta in the sort of waning days of the British Raj, you know, the British Empire in India. And there are photos of her father riding horses. There are photos of her with dogs. There are photos of her in this horrendous convent boarding school that she was shipped off to, wrenched away from her parents when she was six years old. And I desperately wanted to get these images into the book. And then thanks to the pandemic, I wasn't able to.
0: Well, and I have to tell you, I... So I, I I love to read, and, and this book was just wonderful. One of the reasons that I really like to have the, the actual books in hand is because I do like the photos. I love to see it, and I'll bet they were amazing in this. But the other thing that was just so amazing to me too is just the sheer volume of research that you've done. The story, one of the things that you refer to it as is this, just this furious love. It, you know, it's heartbreaking, um, and for a time – these two, uh, Vivian Leigh and Laurence Olivier, were the it couple of Hollywood, and, and the world you know, knew their romance. What was it that captured your attention about this passionate love story and in writing it?
1: Passion is a very double-edged sword. Mm. You know, we all long to fall in love. We don't necessarily long to have our lives so consumed by another person that we can't think, breathe, eat. At any time. Um, and I think that was a passion. And Olivier's first wife, an actress, Jill Esmond, he left Jill for Vivian. He felt, you know, head over heels irresistibly for Vivian. He compared it to a virus, to a sickness. And she said, I've only ever seen true passion once. And she told her son, you know, God forbid it should ever happen to you. But she understood it is a conflagration. And the two of them got swept up in it. They left their spouses. They left their very young kids. Um, They ran off together. And and they then had this extraordinary, horrible, ironic twist that here's Olivia who falls for the most charming, most beautiful, most refined and intelligent woman who's ever lived. And then he finds out she has bipolar disorder. Which is going to get worse and worse and worse. And there's no stopping it because the treatment, which is basically lithium, hadn't yet been discovered. And so you see this, uh, this progression where I've got everything I wanted. It's the King Midas touch. You know, everything I want will turn to gold. Oh, but, but now what? You know, and it's tragic, absolutely tragic. Uh, the, the way this illness, shattered her and shattered their relationship and nobody understood it they all thought she was completely crazy and you know she would be going nuts and attacking people at times um she would not sleep for days on end she would become sexually um uncontrollable and if you're married somebody it's very hard not to blame them even though it was not remotely her fault and I think you see this this slow deterioration. And I found that story fascinating and tragic. And it's what I wanted to explore. I didn't want to write um, a double biography of Olivier and Vivian Lee, even though the first draft of my book was that <laughs> I wanted to write the biography of a marriage. And, you know, from your own relationships with your friends, it's almost impossible to Enter somebody else's marriage, and now how do you do that? And research was the first step. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the research is is so impressive, to Stephen Galloway. I I'm kind of um, I I have actually spent a, a fair bit of time in, in the research, the the notes, and 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 they they really um, live up. I, I you know, in my opinion, I I loved looking through them all. Tell us maybe a couple of the stories behind the investigation, the access that you got. And because a lot of this material is previously unpublished, you, you worked your keister off in, in preparing this and doing all this for us. Yes.
1: Well, I got lucky in the sense that there's the Victorian Albert Archive, which was very little explored. And that has everything on Vivian's end and, and letters, papers. What's harder to find is Vivian's letters to Olivier because they seem to have disappeared And they're not in his archive. There are a few. And somebody I know saw them many years ago, but I couldn't find them. But what's interesting with research is not just what you find. And you can find amazing things. You know, one of the most amazing things was there's a collection of hundreds of letters written by one of Olivier's close friends, Tony Bushell, who's an actor who became his producer. And they were written... Much later, Bush was writing to a young guy who was a friend of his, revealing all sorts of stuff that he probably never imagined somebody like me would read. And to be honest, I have sort of mixed feelings about reading them, you know. And it was a great touchstone for what was going on from a guy who's very sympathetic to both of them and yet was on the inside and nude. So So the night they run away, what did they do? Where did they go? And you find out, oh. You know, Olivier leaves his home in Chelsea in London, crosses the town, waits for Vivian to, to leave her house when her husband and Kid are asleep, and they flee together, and they go to the country and hide out in Tony Bushel's place. And so you get this extraordinary inside view where you can piece together things that I think previously one couldn't. Another amazing source is the producer David O'selznick. British of Gone with the Wind. There's an archive in Texas, uh, University of Texas. It literally has 3,000 boxes, because he wrote memos, like we write emails. And it's an amazing thing to hop from one box to another and literally be able to piece together the making of Gone with the Wind, not day by day, hour by hour, you know, and then getting other people's reactions. Um, so that was one of the, you know, the, the tragedy of the book is you tell one story and you, as one famous writer said, you have to lose your darlings. And the Gone with the Wind chapter had, was cut from 65 pages to 20, you know, and the heartbreak for me was I also went to India to really track down Vivian's past and literally four chapters of the book were cut and, and I did so much. Uh, research that was fascinating because in the 19th century late 19th century when vivian's father was a young man young men with ambition who are trapped in the british class system along with the second and third sons of aristocrats who couldn't inherit they would go off to empire they would go off to make their fortune like we come to america like i came to america you know and Because so many of them did, uh, there was a dearth of eligible husbands. And so every winter season, boatloads of young women would go off to India, and they were known as the fishing fleet because they went off to fish for husbands. And the ones who came back empty-handed were known as the returned empties, which is a horrible term because that's the term we use for the bottles of milk we left behind, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and right, <laughs> I spent quite a bit of time in India. Almost all traces have gone because every old building has been raised. The villa they had in India is now an apartment block. Uh, the 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 place they had in Darjeeling. There are several different places that could be the one, um, and there's next to nothing. Um, also, because I was on the trail of the origins of her bipolar disorder, and as you may know, there's a lot of evidence that it has genetic origins. And the closest I managed to find was there's a great uncle who, you know, her, her mother's side of the family uh, were believed to be of Armenian origin, but living in India. There was a great uncle who was, and there's a record that he was put in the Calcutta asylum for foreigners. You think that might sound bad. In fact, it was a pretty good asylum, you know, and they were treated very well. And of course, if you think about it, the British Empire didn't want its own children, as it were, treated worse than the quote unquote natives. So the horrible racism of the British Empire benefited, you know, uh, some some of the of the immigrants. Um, so. My trip to India, the the trips to the archives, um, they they were very fundamental to to all of this.
0: We're with Stephen Galloway. Stephen Galloway is the author of the new book, Truly Madly, Vivian Lee, Lawrence Olivier, and the Romance of the Century. Stephen Galloway will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates coming up here Tuesday, March 22nd. We'll have links so that our audience can find out more information about the Smithsonian Associate's presentation featuring Stephen Galloway as well as Stephen Galloway's wonderful new book entitled Truly Madly. Let's talk about this, just kind of this first meeting. How how did this wonderful power couple of the time, how did they first meet?
1: Well, let's say they saw each other. Vivian went to the theater and saw Olivier in Theater Royal. I won't tell too much because this is actually how I'm beginning my presentation. <laughs> okay, okay, so, we don't. We just she want to- went there with a friend. She was married. She had rebelled. Here's this girl who was six years old, is taken out of the this blissful upper class life in India and thrown into a convent boarding school, and doesn't see her parents for years. And now she comes out and she's in her late teens and she does what teenagers do. They rebel. And she met somebody, and she got married, and next thing you know, she had a baby. And then she starts to itch and have enough of domestic life. And Think about it, she's 19 or 20 years old, she was young. And starts, goes back to school to, to study acting, starts going out at all hours. By the way, she had to ask her husband for permission, that was the tenor of the times. And she goes to the theater, and she sees this charismatic matinee idol, Laurence Olivier, and she immediately falls in love and turns to her friend and says, that's the man I'm going to marry. One small problem. She was married and so was he. <laughs> so, and it's very interesting to me because I'm going to be very curious to know what readers think. Do they judge for that? Do they, are they forgiving? You know, my approach to the book is just to understand and not to judge. I'm enormously sympathetic to both of them but there were repercussions they both left their spouses they both left their kids Uh, the kids suffered from that Um, and then Vivian saw him and then got her own acting break and then met him in a restaurant and there was this very weird dance where for about two years the two couples became friends and while Vivian and Larry were starting to conduct this affair where they just could not keep apart, finally, they decide to run away. And it's with the running away that the book begins uh, in this middle, this middle of the night escape. And each one had a very re- different reaction. You know, um, Olivier was absolutely tormented by guilt. His father was a, was a country priest. He suffered from enormous feelings of guilt about everything his entire life. Vivian was in many ways the more free spirit. And despite her upbringing in the the convent and strict parents, there was no turning back for her. And she never let go of her love for him. Even at the very end, after everything they'd been through, when finally he couldn't bear it anymore and he left her, she still clung to him. And many years later, when she died young of tuberculosis, she still was in love with him and everybody knew it. Um, And I think you don't want to to romanticize these things and say, oh, she let herself die. But there's a huge amount of evidence that she wasn't doing what she could have done to protect herself at the end.
0: I guess just the the power of love and... uh and, and a toll that it, that it takes, they each had their own reactions to this, this powerful love. What was the public's reaction?
1: They were as famous as famous gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they were Burton and Taylor before Burton and Taylor. They were <laughs> Brangelina before Brad and Angelina. <laughs> um, you have to remember that initially they were movie stars around the world before Olivier became perceived as this great actor. And it's a fascinating thing for all of us, especially younger people who struggle and say, am I talented? Olivier was not a great actor when he started. And he had a few disastrous attempts at Shakespeare. Um, People compared him to talking like he was driving a motorbike, mangling the Shakespearean verse, not being heard. And she was perceived as more lightweight and they became stars with Wuthering Heights, In 39, and then Gone with the Wind, they became the big. she was the most famous person on the planet. And then is when he started to really become the great actor. And one of the things that Simon Callow, pretty well-known British actor, said to me was, Olivier wouldn't have become Olivier without Vivian. First of all, her judgment was excellent. She was in many ways a far more intellectual and well-read person than him. But also... The extraordinary turmoil he went through with her deepened him, gave him access to emotions I don't think he had before. And it's really fascinating because sort of at the peak of their problems is when he does his greatest theater work, Richard III, um, Macbeth, they did an extraordinary Macbeth together. And I'm, I'm always a bit skeptical about people who try to connect every real-life incident with with the work of art, but there is a connection. And, you know, just when Vivian was going through her most manic phase in their relationship, and when he was having to be at his most caring, he's playing his greatest villain, Richard III, and looking in the mirror and saying, I looked in the mirror and the monster smiled back at me. And it's almost like he's split in two. One half of him is the caring husband, and the other one is the monster he unleashes on stage. It's very young.
0: <laughs> well, many in our Smithsonian audience are, are are still captivated by this love story. It will be great to hear and see your presentation because this this is an amazing love story for the ages. What is it that captivates all of us so much? Is it is it somehow our sorrow for her, the the bipolar disease, which which really wasn't discussed in that period much? Is it the celebrity? What draws us in to this love story?
1: I think we're all incredibly drawn to the idea of falling in love. But there's also this sort of moral of beware of what you ask for, you know. And it's like all great tragic love stories. You know, great passions end in tragedy. You know, most passion turns into something softer and gentler and sentimental. Somebody said of Vivian, there was nothing sentimental about her this is people who liked her. She knew passionate love, but not sentimental love. But we're very drawn to that kind of love. And then you have this almost classical arc of the rise and fall. And and yet two very complex and yet quite wonderful people. Um, and, you know, every part of you screaming, please, 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 don't let this fall to pieces, you know? <laughs> and yet it did. I also wonder if romance, tragic romance has disappeared from our culture and if we crave it. You look at all those great films with Garbo and Betty Davis, and that was a genre, you know? It's gone. Could you make Gone with the Wind now? Uh and have us care about the No, you'd expect her to you know, pick up a cell phone. And it fascinates me that tragic romance has disappeared from pop culture. But we crave that. We want to know about it.
0: Well, Stephen Galloway, final question for you. We really appreciate your your generous time talking about your new book, Truly Madly, Vivian Lee, Lawrence Olivier, and the romance of the century. It's just this riveting story. What did you learn about the couple that surprised you? And we're both growing up in this era and remember these movies Gone with the Wind and 21 Days Together, some of these famous films. What what was it that surprised you in doing all of this research and and writing this wonderful story?
1: I was surprised by her artistic influence on him, which hasn't been documented at all. And you read it between the lines because there are a lot of newspaper reports of her being on a set when he's working and giving him his advice. I was surprised that both of them thought Gone with the Wind would be an absolute disaster. <laughs> and there are letters where he writes this thing, you better line up your next project because you know this one stinks, <laughs> which is amazing. That is amazing. I was very surprised as an outsider who's never dealt with bipolar disorder, just what a heart-rending illness it is. And one of the fascinating things for me was as I did research, one of the great things about doing a biography, I'm also the dean of the Chapman University Film School, so being a dean, you can reach out to people and they will, I'm talking about the leading experts in the world will talk to you. And I spoke to the head of psychiatry at Oxford University and the two heads of the Bipolar Disorders Clinic at Stanford, and one question was, when does bipolar disorder manifest itself? and the usual answer is late teens twenties but there's a very intriguing bit of evidence i found which is she kept her diaries her pocket diaries those, those little things that you know teenagers have where you just put in what you do each day and you can read these 30 years of them um, each one stamped with her initials in a little box in her archive and you read her handwriting the appointments And then suddenly the handwriting shifts and it becomes like lightning tearing across the page. You can't read it. And I was thinking, well, this is just a teenager who's going through a mood or changing. It seemed far more extreme than that. And I spoke to Dr. Po Wang, who's one of the leading bipolar experts. He said there's a lot of evidence now that the first manifestation in in girls is on the onset of puberty and that's exactly when the writing goes crazy um and that was the. Rev- yeah. do i have time to do one other funny little story please yeah absolutely <laughs> these please. are not gigantic ones um some of the gigantic ones i found to be myths you know there's a lot of talk that olivier was gay and when i was growing up in england one of my best friends, one of my mentors was was gay and was Olivier's best friend. And he always told me this wasn't true, even though other biographers have said, yes, he was gay. I don't mind either way, but facts are facts, he wasn't. But there's a lovely one of the things we all know is he said, she said, now you multiply that. I found with with everything I've written, accessing the truth. Is always difficult because if you have people's viewpoints, they tell different stories. And one of my favorite stories is when Olivier was doing Spartacus was great rivals with Charles Lawton, who's one of the most extraordinary actors on screen, very difficult person. And Peter Ustinov was in the film and wrote a very comic account about this and how it was like, you know, the sort of, you know, an, a pre-war episode of the Balkans all fighting it out off, off camera. And there's one marvelous story he tells about Olivier hogging a scene and how he rides up on his horse to Peter Ustinov, who's playing this slave trader. And um, the slave trader offers to help him find Spartacus. And he describes how Olivier rolls his eyes around, swirls his tongue around his mouth, pauses, looks away looks back, thinks about it, and says, Spartacus, you know, (laughs) and it's a very, very much an indictment of Olivier as the sort of narcissistic star. Well, the friend I told you about, Olivier's friend, Tony Bushell, I found this marvelous letter recounting exactly the same story, precisely, I mean, word for word. Only the guy with the tongue rolling and the eyes and the Hester is Peter Ustinov, not Olivier. <laughs> Who knows which one is true? I put both verses in the book. Uh, but, but those are the fun discoverers that sort of make up for the heartbreak.
0: Yes. Well, the book uh, is immersive. It is this intimate portrayal of this wonderful, wonderful historic actors in our uh, deep, deep love and, and memory Our guest, of course, has been Stephen Galloway, who has written the book, Truly Madly, Vivian Lee, Laurence Olivier, and the Romance of the Century. Again, we will put links up to where our audience can find out information about Stephen Galloway's presentation at Smithsonian Associates, as well as more information about the book. Stephen Galloway, thank you so much. I will. I'll just put in a a quick plug, sir. Uh, You know, in your role with uh, Chapman University, uh, I'm a huge fan as well of Hugh Hauser and all of his activities. And so, if you ever want to chat or have somebody that wants to chat about Hugh Hauser, I would love to to do an interview with that person because he.
1: he, Oh, thank you. Um, I never knew him because I've only been two years. I was uh at the Hollywood Reporter for. 27. But he's definitely a big name on campus. (laughs) uh, But I hope you'll come and visit It's an extraordinary university.
0: Yeah, I would love to come see it. I would love
1: to. to, And you did a wonderful interview. I I so enjoyed chatting to you. Uh, Well, thank you,
0: sir. The presentation will be wonderful. And you've been great, too. Thanks for this wonderful work. And we're looking forward to it. But thanks so much for your generous time today, Stephen Galloway. Thank you, Paul. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. My thanks to author Stephen Galloway. Stephen Galloway will be appearing March 22nd at the Smithsonian Associates Program, and the title of his presentation is Truly Madly, Vivian Lee, Lawrence Olivier, and the Romance of the Century. Stephen Galloway has written a new best-selling novel of the same name. You'll find that and more information on our website listed in today's show notes. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience here on radio and in podcasts everywhere. For more information about the Smithsonian Associates programs and details, please check out our website notes today at notold better.com. Be well, everyone. Thank you. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.